everyone. We're back with another pod. Hi, you're listening to Deep Cut. I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. Each episode, we talk about two movies by one director, their most popular film, and a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We'll also talk about each director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they want us to. This week, we're going to be doing... The king of Korean cinema right now, at least. The hottest director in the, the world. Great... <laughs> the king of earth cinema. Bong Joon-ho. Do, 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 do. Yeah, reigning mm. Oscar champion. Because it is a bloodbath, the Oscars. It is. Uh... <laughs> I mean, briefly, if you don't know yet, Bong is a director from South Korea of many critically acclaimed films. He's known for his dark humor, genre-bending films, unpredictable storylines, tonal shifts, Underdog protagonist, the man has a whole ton of quirks, but they are all different and they all kind of work. And of course, he's most famous for his 2019 film, Parasite, which won four Oscars for the 2019 season, which Mm. is incredible. It's the first Korean film to be nominated for Best Picture and to also win Best Picture, which is incredible. It's so so great because the whole night you're watching... And you all you keep on thinking that Parasite's the underdog because it is like the foreign mm-hmm. pick, and they never pick the foreign pick to be best picture or best director, or it, it never happens. So when the influx of all the Parasite wins started to come in, I was so happy. It made me so happy. I think it was like the the last time. I felt happy and so... No, no, just kidding. You cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, what's really funny is today I just went to watch all the four clips of him winning an award. (laughs) And what's funny is he clearly didn't expect to win more than one because he used the same joke three times, which is, I'm going to go drink. (laughs) And he says, I'm going to go drink. All right, let's go drink now. (laughs) Can we please go drink now? (laughs) That Oscar season was really interesting. Because Neon, who was the American distributor for Parasite, really made a deliberate point of bringing director Bong to all these events and having him meet Academy voters in person. And I think that just goes to show what we can tell from watching those clips of him winning. He just seems like a nice guy, like a nice middle-aged guy who smiles a lot and is funny and warm. I think he plays like that every man kind of character yeah. Like, yeah. in, in his, per- his personality. And maybe it's calculated, maybe it's not. But it really endears you to him as a person. He's not really a director who's like, oh, he's just the artist. He's like, oh yeah, that's just bong. He's this dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's chill. This also reminds me of, I saw this short film that was at the... I can't remember which edition of the Asian American International Film Festival, which is based in New York, and they had a short film programmed called Searching for Bong, and it was just three film geeks in (laughs) Korea looking for Bong, and they do find him, and he's really in the coffee shop writing a screenplay, just like he says he does. Wow. And then they find him, and I think they just talked to him for a bit. Wait, this is a doc, or is this a... Yeah, like a doc. Uh, Just like a short doc of just three film nerds looking for Bong. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Don't know how they stalked him and found him. (laughs) He's in the first place they look, the coffee shop where he says he is. (laughs) No, I think they went to a bunch of coffee shops. Like They're like, he lives in Seoul. We're going to walk around and look for him. Kind of weird, That's but yeah. a little creepy. <laughs> a little weird. <laughs> a little creepy, but no. they're little kids. There's this cute thing that he said leading up to the Oscars, which I think makes it funnier. Like when he, people are asking him about the pressure of the Oscars and like whether he thought he would win, he said, 
the Oscars are not an international film festival. They're very local. <laughs> yep. Sick burn. It's not a big deal. Sick burn. <laughs> yeah. But I think it really paid off what Neon did. Having also sort of semi-participated in that Oscar season as an awards intern at a certain animation distribution company, <laughs> it became very clear to me that so much of what makes an Oscar nominee or an Oscar winner is the money that is put into the campaigning of the film and also the strategies that these distribution companies use to get their film nominated or their film to win. And it speaks to not, not only the film, but it also speaks to how well Neon ran its campaign. Yeah. It's all about marketing. Yes, it is. Parasite's not a great movie. It's no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, so as I was re-watching, I saw Parasite twice in theaters uh, when it was in theaters in 2019. And then I was re-watching the other day, and I put it on, and I just instantly was able to sink into it so quickly. And normally I take notes when I'm watching movies for the podcast, and I plum forgot to. Truly, I forgot yeah. to with Parasite. It's so immersive. It's is it just like one of the best movies? It is. It is really. It, it's one of the best. So movies. incredible. <laughs> it's hard to take your eyes off it and be like, let me think about this in film analysis terms and clack 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 clack. No, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna go watch this. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna do. <laughs> it it really is crafted so meticulously to mm -hmm. make you just want to sit up and pay attention and yeah. yeah bong really just has you in the palm of his hand the entire runtime of the yeah. film he like he plays the viewer so well mm -hmm. it is and i've seen parasite this would have been my fourth or fifth time seeing this movie and i just before we started recording i did say that it might have been too many times, but <laughs> hmm. for the most part, it was very enjoyable. I, I just like get really anxious when the the long night happens, oh the rainy God. night starts, and I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> the, the ball's about to drop, and I got very scared <laughs> this time, <laughs> even though I knew what was going to happen. Okay, maybe I should just jump in with some quick biographical yes. information. Wait, we should say what the deep cut is. Oh, Okay, hold on. <laughs> so, the companion to this today is that I've picked 2009's Mother as our deep cut pick. I don't want to get too much into why I picked it. I think I'll talk Ooh. about it a little bit later Ooh. as to why I picked Mother. Maybe you guys can try and theorize why I picked it, and then we can talk about that when we reach Mother. Maybe yeah. you guys can. You picked it so we would compare it to Darren Aronofsky's Mother with the <laughs> yeah. exclamation point. Mother! <laughs> Mother! All lowercase, so it's mother. <laughs> What's the better mother, guys? I still I, I still oh. love the Aronofsky mother. Oh, come on. <laughs> His classic 1903 film, Mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about mother when we, when we get to that film. So, Bong Joon-ho was born in Daegu, South Korea on September 14th, 1969. In his childhood through his college years, South Korea was under the rule of a military dictatorship, which you see him reference in Memories of Murder, which is about a real-life incident that is set around that time. He moved to Seoul in third grade, and I think he still lives there. 
and he grew up in a middle-class family. His father was a graphic designer and industrial designer and also an art professor, and his mom was a full-time housewife. This South-North Korea divide has a place in his family because his maternal grandfather actually lived in North Korea, and the writings that he had were actually taboo subjects, or I wouldn't say banned, but I think reading his writings was not necessarily a great look or somehow. I didn't read too much into it. And in fact, his mother's sister or his aunt was also in North Korea. They had like a reunion kind of thing 40 years after they'd been separated. Wow. It was like this big televised thing where like lots of people were reunited many, many years down the road. He went to college in Yonsei University and he actually majored in sociology. Mm. Yonsei was the site Mm -hmm. of many student demonstrations during the South Korean democracy movement. Many of the students there were protesting every day. They were subjected to tear gas. And he has memories of the tear gas and the smell of it. He said that he wasn't really an activist himself, but what he did do was he would draw cartoons in the school newspaper, which supported the protests that were happening. Mm. So he was really like growing up within this climate of social and political change within South Korea, which I think speaks to a lot of the themes of his films. After he graduated from Yonsei University, he went to the Korean Academy of Film Arts. He spent a year there. And apparently his first 10 years in film production were very tough. Apparently he made very little money until he finally made his first feature, which is Barking Dogs Never Bite, which came out in 2000, which I did not get a chance to watch. But let me just dive a little into each of his films because he's made seven feature films from Barking Dogs to Parasite. And there's a little bit to say about each of them. So Barking Dogs Never Bite was not a big hit. It has a bit of a cult following, but even Bong hates the movie now. (laughs) I've seen him mention it multiple times. He's like, don't watch this. It's bad. It's stupid. Don't watch it. So I guess I'm just honoring him by not watching it. (laughs) Of the rest of his films. Because I've seen all other six. Same here. Then the follow-up to Barking Dogs Never Bite is a Stone Cold masterpiece called Memories of Murder, which came out in 2003. That was a chance I would have picked it, but I went with Mother instead. But Memories of Murder is another masterpiece that is based on a real-life unsolved murder case in South Korea. It has many similarities to Zodiac by David Fincher, but Zodiac came later. There's not much to say about it except that it's a really good kind of cop procedural film about the investigation. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. It's kind of about police incompetence. I want to drop one little thing about Memories of Murder. I I tend to be troubled by that movie's use of a character with an intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I thought that the movie was laughing at that character. The next time I watched it, I realized that it's saying something a little bit more complicated about how the cop characters treat that mm-hmm. character. Yes. But ultimately, I still have a couple problems with it. I'll come back to that subject when we talk about Mother. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to compare the two and how mm-hmm. they treat um, an intellectually disabled character. It shows you Bong is going for that kind of risky topics. He doesn't really shy away from trying that stuff. Yeah. I think there is a, you can make an argument both ways, whether it's sensitive enough or not. He is right on the line for me sometimes. Yeah. But I think he, he enjoys being on that line. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. like where he makes his best work, I feel like. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fun fact, that murder was solved. Yeah. Wasn't oh, it really? this year when? or last year? I think it was 2019 it was solved or yeah, 2019 or 2020, like early 2020. That's incredible. 
slight spoiler for Memories of Murder. The final frame is Song Kang Ho's character, who's he's playing the protagonist. He looks into the frame with this very uncertain and haunted mm. look. And I saw this meme edit online of him someone had made him like smiling like grinning (laughs) just like like, ruining the final frame (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's so funny thanks for bringing up song kang ho because he is one of the major collaborators with bong jun ho he's appeared in many of his films incredible actor including the follow-up to memories of murder the host Mm. uh, which is a monster movie that went to khan and was a huge box office success and was at that point in time, I think the biggest box office hit in Korea. So I think that really fanned the, what's the metaphor here? The bong fanned flames. The flames of the bong, the bong plane. I don't know, the plane's on fire. No. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this uh, metaphor. They lit the bong. <laughs> exactly. And the host, I think because of the amount of money that it made, there's a big reason why he managed to make all these other films that came after. I mean, the host is okay. Yeah, I, I overall like the host. Um, I think it has one of just the best movie monster rampage scenes. Mm-hmm. And that alone makes it great. Though I think there are parts of that that I feel don't fully mesh. And I see hints of what he does later on and does make fully mesh in places like Parasite. I think its message is not as strong, but I think people still found a lot of meaning in its messaging. Right. Even though it's not exactly that clear or strong. I haven't seen it, but... It's still a good monster movie. Isn't it, like, all... Isn't it sort of about the American, like, involvement in South Korea? Mm -hmm. It's based on the true thing that happened, which is that in the military base in South Korea, they were dumping chemicals and it was deforming the fish. Oh, I see. So it's based on a true event, like many of his films, I guess. Not many, just a few. <laughs> I was like, did Definitely Mother not really many. happen? <laughs> no. The part that feels like it sometimes doesn't mesh is the kind of family unit, mm-hmm. specifically Song Kang Ho's character's kind of almost a slapstick character. And it's not that it doesn't work, but I think it requires some tonal shifts that he gets a lot better at later in his mm-hmm. filmography. Mm-hmm. So moving on from The Host, three years later, he makes Mother, which we'll talk about. After that, we have Snowpiercer in 2013, which is his first Woo! English language film starring Captain America or the Human Torch, Chris Evans, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a great action movie, which was tied up with release issues with the company that I'm not going to name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who wanted to cut his film. Fucking asshole. But here, here. he managed to retain Final Cut and he was able to release the film. You guys know the story of how... I do know the story. Okay, okay. No, you say the story, Eli. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Which story? There's so many. <laughs> There's a great little beat in Snowpiercer where one of the bad guys takes a fish, a whole like live fish, or no, I guess a dead fish. That wouldn't be allowed on a movie. He takes a dead fish and he has an axe and he just cuts it open to intimidate the good guys and he lets all the fish guts drip out. <laughs> it's gnarly. And then the fish gets passed back to the other bad guys and it's like, I don't know why that's there, but it's so cool. And the producer, who we won't mention, <laughs> wanted to cut that beat out. So Bong made up a whole backstory about his how his dad was a fisherman mm-hmm. and it was symbolic to him personally to get that beat to be left in the movie. <laughs> he lied. 
It's great. <laughs> and an it's icon. worth it because that beat's incredible. Yeah. The dude has such great king energy. <laughs> he does. <laughs> like really? everything about him. <laughs> yeah. It's like how Miyazaki um, sent a katana sword to Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> um, after... No, also to, was to it, the same. Oh, it was to the same. Oh, no, it was to the same unnamed the producer that we were not talking. Well, we will not name. Nice. And the yeah. engraved, I think engraved on the, the sword. No, there was a note. Oh, there was a note that came with the sword that said no cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I love Snowpiercer. Yeah, that I really movie. like Snowpiercer. Still haven't seen it. <laughs> it's a banger. It's a good time. And it's also got a lot of stuff about class, social mobility. It's much more overt, I think. Mm-hmm. Not that Parasite isn't clear with its messaging, but it's it's a very overt and heightened because it's also sci-fi. Right. And but you would time. say it is a better film than the, the next film that you're going to talk Okja? about. Okja? Yes. From 2017 yes. with Netflix? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Wait, wait, before we move on to Okja, we just have to cite Snowpiercer has trains. Mm. Trains. trains are great. <laughs> trains rock. So yeah, Okja is the second English language <laughs> film after that. Has no trains, but it has Jake Gyll- Gyllenhaal. And it has a cute-ass pig. Yeah, it's got a super pig. <laughs> All CG, but it's not real pig. <laughs> um, but this was it released on Netflix. It competed for the Palm Dog, but was part of this whole like bullshit thing about what cinema and people booed it at Khan because of the Netflix logo. That was a whole thing involved. Oh my God. <laughs> not going to get into it, but it was part of that whole saga. This was only in 2017. And now I think everyone's realizing Netflix is pumping money into so many auteurs while making good shit mm-hmm. that they can't ignore it anymore. They can't then, ignore it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Great fun. Thanks. And then that brings us to his latest film, Parasite, which is obviously the popular pick, which you already know, won the Oscar for Best Picture, also won the Palme d'Or, and is an all-around incredible movie. And it won my heart. <laughs> it really did. I think before we talk about Parasite, I just want to drop some random notes about Bong in general. He's generally just a big cinephile. And if you search any of his lists of films to watch, he has amazing lists, very diverse. It'll just open your mind about films to watch. He has great taste. He's friends with Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. He's a, and can... he's a big fan of her. Everyone <laughs> yeah. needs to go um, read that interview that they did with each uh, other. Yes. The Kelly Reichardt. And David Sims. Yes. Host mm. of Blank Check. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> and honestly, I think he'd be a great deep cut guest. <laughs> if you're listening. Well... Please. If you're listening. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to drop this because I, I don't, there's not much of a chance for me to talk about this later on, but one of my favorite features of Bong films that recurs in many of them, but not all of them, is the dropkick. <laughs> which I wish was in Parasite somewhere. You get close to a dropkick in the climactic sequence, but yeah. not really. Let me really stretch a metaphor. <laughs> Wait, how are we defining dropkick? What's a the dropkick? One where you fully launch yourself so you're Into. on the ground and you, and you land oh. on your you just land on the ground. Yeah. yeah. So you see yeah, this that's in, in memories. Like all of his movies. Memories of Murder has a many dropkicks. The mother one mother is really good. Has one, which is also really good. I th- can't remember that the host has any. Uh, I feel must. like there's a few other more, but why is a dropkick emblematic of Bong cinema. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm Lay so down excited your thesis. for this, Ben. <laughs> One, 
they're suddenly violent, <laughs> surprising, mm-hmm. and have an element of humor because at the end of a drop kick, you still have to take a slapstick fall. So within a drop kick, it's a tonal shift. <laughs> you uh. laugh at it, it's violent, it's surprising, and it can do a lot of damage. That's my metaphor. <laughs> wow. Ben, I love that. It's so and good. honestly, that's close to my main takeaway from reviewing Parasite and seeing Mother for the first time, sort of looking more specifically for things to note about it for this episode, is that I think Bong is the master of tonal shifts yeah. from comedic to serious to violent to peaceful. And he finds and makes his meaning out of those tonal shifts. Mm-hmm. And I think Parasite is the pinnacle of that. Mm. And let's launch right into it. Yeah. Then. Let's talk about Parasite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How do we begin right, with yeah. what a, such a mammoth movie? This movie. Okay, let me just go into the synopsis. Huge spoilers for both films. Go and watch them. They're both great. At least I think they're yeah, both actually, great. Actually, this time more than other times, if you have not seen Parasite yet. Yes. Or Mother. Or it. Mother. You have when, to see these yeah. movies. Or Mother. <laughs> stop <laughs> listening to us. Go watch them and come back. <laughs> no, just stop listening to us. <laughs> stop right Forever. now. Okay, synopsis. Parasite is about a family that infiltrates a rich family's home by one by one, becoming employed in their different um, roles in the house before, I wrote this, before everything goes to shit and secrets are revealed. (laughs) (laughs) You you use secrets, it's very lightly used secrets. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of an understatement. I mean, okay, what happens if we want to just get into it more clearly is they one by one infiltrate. So the brother goes in as a tutor of the daughter of the other family. And what's interesting is that the two families in this film are have the same makeup. It's the mother and father and then a daughter and a son. So the son, whose name is Ki-woo, played by Choi Woo-shik, is the first to go get employed. He gets employed as a tutor, manages to get his sister a job tutoring the son of the rich family. And then she goes in. Her name is Ki-jung, but she also goes by Jessica. And... She tutors the, the youngest kid and then she gets the dad a job to be a driver. And then at the end of this somewhat high sequence, they concoct a huge plan to replace the housekeeper who has been living there for the longest time with their mom to replace her. And then the secret that gets revealed is that the housekeeper's husband has been living in the bunker this entire time <laughs> and has been locked in there. And then she comes in and then these the housekeeper and then the new family that has moved in realize these things about each other and are trying to sabotage their relationship with rich family. And then it just all hell breaks loose. (laughs) And the great thing about it is like what you were saying, Eli, it's, it is a masterful blend of tonal shifts. And in a sense, it's a genre bending film at the start. It's kind of like a heist film. Then it becomes an action movie or a thriller, psychological thriller, and it also becomes a horror movie in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of everything. And one of the influences that he cites is Hitchcock, which I think this film and also Mother have a lot of shades of, which is the mystery and the reveals and also the suspense. Like he really yes, loves a great so suspenseful true. flick. Yeah. So why don't the both of you just tell tell us what you liked about the movie? Ooh, 
Parasite was one of my favorite movies of 2019. It is so strong and sort of like there are no holes in the plot, in the filmmaking, in the acting. There's really nothing you can say to critique this movie, (laughs) which I think will just end up all three of us just praising how incredible this movie is. But what I really attached to on this watch of the movie was how incredible the score was. Jung Jae-il does the score, and I would say the movie runs through plot really fast. And one of the driving forces of how fast this movie runs is the score and sort of guides you through not only the plot, but also the tonal shifts. I think it's just a really great score. And if you want to just think about that pivotal sequence towards the end of the first act when they're, they're finally getting the mother in as the housekeeper, there's a theme on the score that continues throughout that five minute sequence and then sort of crescendos at the end with the slow motion of Mr. Kim squirting the ketchup onto the Mm. tissue and holding it up. And that moment is just pure cinema in both a visual and oral sense. It's incredible. Mm. Yeah, I'll get into other stuff later, but I did want to highlight the score because that's what really stood out to me on this watch. The plot is so tight in that every element that's set up has a payoff and it all just clicks. But the thing that is more than that to me is that there are plenty of movies that are tightly plotted, but this movie is an ideal balance of plot and character in that the two are one and the same. Every plot beat that happens is the result of a choice of one of the characters. The characters also are never dumb They're never stupid for the sake of the convenience of the plotting. Mm -hmm. There's very little convenience for the sake of plot to begin with. And everything that happens just feels like the direct result of the actions of the main family. That's why it's so tight to me is because it's not just that the plotting is tight. It's that the character and plot are so tightly intertwined. That's what is the like solid bedrock of the movie Mm -hmm. that allows for these tonal shifts because it's all believable for what these characters are doing it's a film where you never have to go oh i'll forgive this one plot thing exactly so that the story will make sense it really is every piece has its place and the piece was placed there by a previous piece Mm -hmm. yeah whenever i think about this movie's structure and the pieces that place i cannot not think about dominoes being placed yeah it is the image that goes into my mind i see dominoes being placed and then being knocked down and every single one is there There there's no missing piece there is no additional piece it's all placed there in a way that is undeniably correct (laughs) in a sense Mm -hmm. i can't even imagine how much effort and how much time bong and his other... Was it just him that screen, screen wrote this? He had a co-writer. 
Oh, Han Jin Wan. But I can't even begin to think about how much time and effort they took to sort of carve out such a tight plot. You have basically eight lead, nine leads mm. or nine characters that you have to ten. juggle or ten, ten characters, characters. <laughs> that you have to juggle throughout this whole runtime. And it's truly unimaginable what Bong and Han achieved in this movie. And that's on the that's on the writing side. On the directing side, there is not a shot that feels out of place. <laughs> yeah. Everything is economic <laughs> and none of it is distracting. It's all so immersive. It's the epitome of how you like storyboard to death a movie in the best way possible. But to life in this case. Yes. <laughs> storyboard to life. If our listeners didn't know, so Bong actually storyboarded every single shot in this film himself. He's great at illustrating, at least for storyboards, and he did a lot of the storyboards himself, and he does that to kind of give himself the safety before he launches into the film. And when you read about the production process of this film, so much of this was planned so meticulously so that the plot would work in terms of the shots that they were going to take. So the house is also specifically designed so that certain motifs would work and certain scenes would work because the house is not a real house. It's actually built between different sets. So the second floor is different from the first floor and they built it so that they would connect all these things together. And that precision, honestly, it sounds like a luxury that he was able to plan it and storyboard it to such minute detail, but it clearly shows that he knew how to use those tools to create something exactly to his vision. I'm thinking about what you told us, Ben, about how he was a political cartoonist. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that and that he storyboarded his own shots, every shot in Parasite feels essential with just mm -hmm. the information that you need and the expression and emotion that you need. And that's kind of similar to the skill of political cartooning. You have one frame to communicate your message, so everything that's in there has to be sharp and pointed. And I feel that way about the shots in Parasite. So he never shoots coverage. Like he plans his storyboards based on how he wants to cover the scene. It's not mm. coverage in the traditional sense of wide shot, mid shot, mid shot, close up, reverse, mm -hmm. that, that kind of crap. In that way, the cinematography is always exciting and interesting to look at. When you watch the kind of simple scenes of conversation in this, right? if the scene is quiet, he's not going to spend too much time shooting too much coverage or mm -hmm. anything at all to cover the scene. And so I'm reminded of the scene where Ki-woo, who is the, he's, he's the son, he goes and tutors Dahai, who is the daughter of the rich family. And that scene just plays out in two shots bef right before they kiss. So it's just one scene. It's a very simple scene of them talking. But then you have a scene like when they are hanging out in the house after the rich family goes on their camping trip. And I found the blocking and use of shots in that scene to be so fascinating and so invigorating. Two of them are seated on the big coffee table, side by side. The brother is on the left, facing to the right, and then the daughter is lying down on the couch. A tableau like that is actually very difficult to cover because it's difficult to figure out where your eye lines are, what coverage is important, and how to position the camera so that you can flow between the conversation in the most efficient manner, but also 
the most clear manner. And also, everyone's sitting still. I didn't think about the fact that there's no movement of mm -hmm. characters in that shot mm -hmm. because the movement of the camera across cuts makes it feel alive. Yeah, so what he does is like the specific moments in the conversation where, say, the mom is talking and then it goes to the father, he'll use a pan. Yeah. Or he'll use a cut if you're going from like the mom to the daughter. But then there's this big moment where the father like slams everything on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And then he like <laughs> seems to be very angry and then he pulls his, his wife by the, by the shirt. And he uses a new shot for that, which is like a sort of over the shoulder of him looking at his wife. So it's the back of his head on the wife. And using this new shot, it invigorates the scene and it makes you sit up and be like, oh my God, is he, what's up with this dude? Right? And then she laughs. It's a great moment of humor. Just using all these different shots and using the exact shot you want and to change the shot when you need to change the tone he's able to make something that's pretty still and sedate into something very entertaining to watch. Yeah. He also does this a lot through um, how he varies the pacing of his camera movements. So the earlier in the scene with the pan across the four of them going back and forth, it's pretty like slow and it follows whoever's talking. But then when Song Kang-ho's character swipes all the bottles out from the table there's a quick pan to see all like the bottles crashing onto the floor and then that's just like a big jolt that makes you mm. sort of sit up in your seat the other remarkable thing i mean we should really just go in on this scene because <laughs> it's the centerpiece of the movie and it really in terms of what we're talking about with tonal shifts is the place to look right yeah so everything has been going well for this family the house is alone for a night as the rich family is going on a camping trip. And so the main family comes in and as the tagline for the American poster says, acts like they own the place. <laughs> and they just are relaxing. They're having this conversation around the living room coffee table. And the thing that is so remarkable about this scene to me is that it's not just a hangout scene with some comedic moments and reflection about how well they're doing. I remember the first time watching Parasite in theaters and thinking, oh shit, this is where the other shoe drops. Mm -hmm. This scene goes on for so long that as it's amusing you, you cannot help but sense in the back of your <laughs> mind that this is where everything is about to change. Yeah. Because the movie's been moving at a clip through its first half. Mm -hmm. And now it slows down and is existing in real time. Uh, something's up. It's signaling that to you. Yeah. And that's so remarkable that Bong can pull both off. That I'm laughing and enjoying time with the family. As I'm also on the edge of my seat. <laughs> so nervous for them about whatever is coming their way. And it sure does come their way. Uh, man oh man that scene is also kind of it is really the center point of the film yeah and it's also where he lays out all his themes because the family starts talking about class they talk about what rich people do and why they're able to do it mm -hmm. they talk about how they're struggling and so this scene is really the fulcrum for the entire plot right and everything just tips I looked at it and I realized that it has a very strict three act structure mm-hmm Hmm. Right, You have the first third of the film or the first hour of the film, which is essentially a heist movie where it moves along. It's just family member after family member gets replaced in the house. And it culminates in that scene where they 
sabotage the housekeeper by using the peach fuzz to trigger her allergic reaction. And it's just a series of cons that they're doing, right? Yeah. And it's really, really entertaining to watch. It moves at a very quick clip. It's con after con after con. It seems like it happens in like three days flat. And after that peach scene and they're all in, it immediately goes into this central scene that we're talking about. It doesn't waste any time to move the conflict into a different direction. And then after that, we have the central scene where the second act, what we have is the discovery of the housekeeper's husband in the basement bunker. The long right? night. The long, the long night. night. And this is where the viewer learns about this new element of plot and how that changes the status quo. So the first act is really easy to watch. It's just fun. It's, it's a little mean, but it's still fun to watch. And then suddenly you have this big shoe drop and you're like, okay. And then the rich family comes home oh. and then everything goes to hell and then they escape. So if you look at it as a heist movie, you have first the planned heist where everything goes well. Everything goes wrong, but narrowly escape. And then you move into the third act where they enter the house again. But then the conflict that was in the second act comes back, but the conflict now is not resolvable. And the husband of the housekeeper comes up and attacks them. And yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say besides that. Like Then everything goes to hell and they basically fail their heist, if you want to call it that. Mm. Yeah, so that's kind of like the structure of the movie. It's a very strict three-act structure. Yeah. But if you look at it that way, it's, it flows so beautifully between each of these kind of sections. They all have their own internal conflict within each of those sections. Right. I like that way to break it down. The other thing that moves differently across all three sections is our feelings toward the main family, right? Mm. So in the first third... We're with them as they're infiltrating the rich family's home and we're enjoying the ride. Even as we're noting little things, they screw over the rich family's driver, the housekeeper who had existed in this home before the rich family even arrived. They are lying to the rich family. Kiwu, the son of the main family, seduces Dahai, or is <laughs> like, I don't 16. know. Eek, eek, yeah. Eek. <laughs> yeah. So, Bong plants little things for us that keeps us invested in the family's success, but also he flags those things for us that are wrong. Mm -hmm. And he's not equivocal about that. And then in the midsection, we get to see the family reflect on the things they've done. They have a discussion about how they got rid of the driver and the housemaid. And they reflect on the things that they've done and they justify it for themselves because of their own needs. And then in that third section, really everyone spirals out to hurt each other. And, and that's where Bong cements his message about the class system mm -hmm. of, you know, whatever you want to say, South Korea, Seoul, modern capitalism, everyone is both culpable and symptomatic of the system in which they live. And I think with the central idea of classism and that divide, it's always there throughout the whole film, but the tension slowly builds as the viewers see and the main family experience more and more microaggressions 
um, from the rich family, most of them centering around how they smell. I think that is just such a strong image or just a strong feeling like someone taking like smelling and then having a look of disgust and how that affects Song Kang Ho's character and the rest of the family throughout the film and that being the the click at like midway through the third act which has him like stab the father of the rich family. Song's performance in that scene is incredible because I think that is a very subtle shift in what the character is doing and why he does it. The film is really good at giving you reasons for why he would do this, but Song sells it, mm-hmm. right? He sells how this character makes this violent turn. Right. But and it's you also believe not, him. It's not just him. It's, it's also Lee Sun Kyun who plays Mr. Park. Because just to, <laughs> the way he... to sell that look is so important as yeah. well. The way that he moves in that scene, right? When he makes the decision to pick up the knife, the subtle changes in an expression that signify that change in the way that he thinks about this, in the way that he wants to take revenge. And obviously, the situation that we have, his daughter is dying, but all the Parks care about is that their son, who has fainted, needs to go to the hospital. They don't care about the bleeding woman or the rampaging man in their backyard. They don't care about any of that. They only care about the son that has fainted. And that is part of the reasoning as to why he does that. But then he sells it with his look and the way that he changes his face. That's conveyed almost entirely in these POV shots that Bong gives us from the perspective of Song Kang-ho's character. He's looking out and, and there are these tilt downs from the parks who are asking for their car keys to drive their son to the hospital down to his daughter dying of a knife wound. And the way that he's combining the use of POV shots with these space-connecting tilts, Mm -hmm. it does illustrate the divide that he's feeling that drives him to murder Mr. Park, the rich patriarch. Even though I just said that, (laughs) I do also want to say that kind of the one thing that bumps me about Parasite is the choice for Song Kang-ho's character, Mr. Kim, of the main family, to kill Mr. Park of the rich family. Kind of all the film language is there and the reasoning is there for the smell. But across the three viewings, it's gotten a little bit easier to go along with that choice to kill Mr. Park, maybe just because I'm, I'm expecting it at this point. Mm-hmm. But I remember being bumped by that choice and the extremity of that choice right. on my first and second viewing. Bumped in what way? Bumped it like, like the motivational pieces didn't mm-hmm. fully add up right. for me to right. get Mr. Kim to stab Mr. Park. This is a completely subjective observation, but I feel yeah. I feel obligated to put it out there. Right. Maybe maybe a viewer feels the same way. It's a similar thing to to mother as to well. To mother as well. Mm. I think Bong does it because it is so difficult. Yeah. Because you see his scripts, he goes there. He always goes there. Yeah. Right. And this is an extreme, yes, but it's also a pretty extreme situation. Yes. And right. And I think the difficulty in it is also that he is trying to treat every single character. I mean, he says this himself, which is that he wants to treat both the rich and the poor in a neutral way. So they are capable of good and bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say the good family is more caricature in a sense that it's hard to find anything specifically good about them. They aren't nice, quote unquote, nice to the help. They're assholes. Right. And there's all the microaggressions that Wilson mentioned. 
But then the so-called lower class families, the housekeeper as well as the Kim family, they bicker and they fight with each other because that's kind of the message of the movie is that in the country of capitalism, which is what Bong calls it, Mm. when you have that kind of stratification, what ends up happening is that the people of a lower class end up fighting and it causes them to be living in situations where sometimes they are pushed to violent ends. And so he is trying to kind of plant that seed of, of can you judge them for doing this, right? And because not that what the father does is morally correct, but he emotionally makes you align with that action. Yes. Yeah, and I'm saying that I, I didn't maybe fully emotionally align. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything you're saying in principle. Yeah. yeah. Which is probably what he as a director wants you to wrestle with as mm. a viewer and also oh, yeah. Yeah. like your own your own ideas about class and mm. whether we should be eating the rich or not. <laughs> <laughs> I think a thing that helped me on this third viewing to feel Mr. Kim's choice to kill Mr. Park is that earlier moment that Ben cited of Mr. Kim grabbing his wife by the shirt collar and swiping all the beer bottles off the table. Mm -hmm. He plays off that anger as a joke, but I kind of started to feel like it was genuine and he was genuinely feeling indignant in that moment at his wife Mm -hmm. insulting him and calling him a cockroach. And then he kind of plays it off as a joke. There's a little bit of obfuscation of what exactly Mr. Kim is feeling in that moment because the shot is placed behind his head. And I think that's on purpose and it's a little misty and maybe that feeds into his later choice to kill Mr. Park. For me, my, my brain doesn't really have to take that big of a leap just because I guess what Ben said earlier, the situation itself was all already so crazy and yeah, yeah, sort of a fight or flight situation probably was happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that made sense for me. He spends a lot of time with song his character in the hall that they are holding up in, in the car when the wife is, I think the first time that she notices the smell and and she winds down the window and they focus on his face. And so they really kind of show you his displeasure of being belittled and made to feel like a lower class citizen than the parks. Yeah, all the information is there. I'm now thinking also about how the exact moment of the killing, there has been a big buildup of all these POV shots and all these camera tilts to get us into Mr. Kim's head. And in the exact moment of the killing, the camera is looking over the shoulder of Mr. Park as he's stabbed by Mr. Kim. And there's a kind of slow track to the right that the camera does on Mr. Kim. And that Mm -hmm. moment kind of happens more quickly. It's given a little bit less time. And we immediately go bird's eye view camera as mr kim runs out of the compound great what shot. a beautiful shot utilizing his shadow to fill up most of the frame i like your observation wilson about how maybe bong wants us on mr kim's page up until the moment of that killing and then gets us off of it that bird's eye view is very objective yes even as the camera is moving with him as he flees the compound so it's subjective in that sense because we're aligned with his movement right It's a little bit of both. And I think what you're saying is correct, that Bong wants it to be both. Yes. We are both emotionally aligned and critically distant. Right. Mm. And the next time we get to see Mr. Kim is 
through the letter that he writes his son. And through that letter, you are already, like, emotionally aligned because he's basically just telling you how he's feeling. Yeah. (laughs) It's the first time we're getting subjective voiceover. We have voiceover over the heist, but that's as characters are talking to each other. This is the first voiceover where characters are directly addressing us, Kiwu Mm -hmm. specifically. So what do you guys think about the ending of this movie where you have a letter from a father, Mr. Kim, to a son, and then a reply from Kiwu to his father. Okay, my immediate reaction is that when I think about it, I'm like, this is indulgent. It's two epilogues, right? Yes. But emotionally, I feel it's very generous to have that. I think it's the most emotionally potent section of the film. I was very moved by the son's line about the sister. And I don't know why, but the sister's death really got me emotionally even though she's not necessarily like this incredible angel that was killed. She's just a girl, right? But the way that he frames that sequence and the voiceover, that death and his reflection on death was very emotionally affecting. Yeah, I agree. It's the emotional impact of that ending has only increased for me across viewings. The wonderful thing about reviewing movies in general is that you get to spend the same time and the same actions over and over with these characters and get to know them better. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt more burdened by this ending on the third viewing than I did on the first. And it was still effective on the first. Right. I really like the ending overall. A big deal is made out of metaphors in this movie. Yeah. And I think this is the moment when the central metaphor of the movie of the stratification of society being echoed in the layers of the house when that whole construct moves into like transcendent metaphor territory Mm -hmm. and it's not so literal an ending and it moves into the imagined territory of kiwu's mind and his plans for the future yeah and when all of that comes crashing back down to reality and he's stuck in the basement in the Mm -hmm. same shot that he opened the movie with but now without his but now without two members of his family, it really hurts. Yeah. Really, really hurts. I really like the fa- fantasy sequence. Yeah, me too. I was thinking yeah. about, because earlier we were talking about how the first act of the film sort of occurs over maybe a, uh, like a few months of them planning out this infiltration of the house. And then the second to third act sort of takes place over two days. And then mm-hmm. how this whole epilogue you could say, occurs over years. Mm-hmm. And how Bong is able to compress that time into that short epilogue really hit me emotionally. Um, and just Kiwu's wish to transcend his class and to finally buy the house where his father was living in, just so they can reunite as a family. Just boiling that down and, like, the years of work down into just lines of narration and imagery from Kiwu's mind was so emotionally impactful for me. I really liked how he shot that fantasy sequence because he does it in a very... The best way to say this is that it's a very normal way of shooting it, as if it actually happened. And as I was watching it, I forgot the final frame from the first time I watched it. Mm -hmm. 
and I truly wanted to believe that it happened. Yeah. I always think the final <laughs> I, frame is that wide yeah, shot of the garden. When the mom walks and, towards. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. I just wanted to believe it. And then he just was like, snap back to reality. That shit is a fantasy. <laughs> it's the ultimate cost of the actions of the movie. It's the dissolution of the Kim family. Mm. And destruction of the Kim mm. family. Yeah. Yeah. I think with this movie, it's really just... You pick any scene, you break down that scene, and you'll see how to make a movie well. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, that's yeah. kind of how I feel about this film. Like, how to place the camera, what to do with your actors, what to do with music. Yeah, masterclass on yeah, how to it's make really a, masterclass. a movie. Let's move on to Mother. Oh my god. <laughs> mother! Mother, 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 mother. Give me back my baby! Different mother. <laughs> oh, could oh, be the same oh. mother. I don't know. <laughs> Cl- eh, close enough. Okay, um, let's move on to mother. Hold on, let me think. How do I start this? This is a story all about how my life got flip-flopped upside down. <laughs> I was a mother, and I had a son, and <laughs> there was a lot of sexual tension. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's so that, good. That's so good. Okay, mother. What's mother about? Mother is about a mother who is unnamed, whose intellectually disabled son is accused of the murder of a young girl, and she tries to absolve him by finding the true killer of the girl. But, spoiler alert, plot twist, he is the killer. (laughs) (laughs) I I screamed so (laughs) (laughs) much! Which results in her also killing somebody else. (laughs) And, yeah... The behind-the-scenes thing you should know about this film is that Bong wrote this movie for the actress who plays the mother. Oh. She is Kim Haija, and she is very famous in Korea because she has a 40-50-plus-year career in Korean television and a little bit in film. And she, I think, probably plays in a some, some kind of long-running soap opera-type kind of deal where she plays a mother character who is very warm, very nice and they call her the national mother because she is famous for playing the archetypal mother character and Bong wrote this film to explore the darker side of Kim Haija my brain is working overtime to get to a to like a national treasure national mother joke (laughs) I'm going to steal the declaration of murder You don't know how happy that made me. That how much more that made me love this movie. Wow, movies that do interesting things with casting and using mm. their actors' careers to make meaning, love it. I can't imagine being Korean and having to deal with that dissonance of having seen Kim Haija as a nice mom character and then watching her in this and being like, "What the fuck." <laughs> I kind of want to dive in and talk about my very convoluted approach to this movie. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So if you were a coming-of-age cinephile in the year of our Lord 2014, you watched every frame of painting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) at that point in 2014, I watched every frame of painting's video essay on Mother. It's an excellent essay by Tony Joe and Taylor Ramos. And they talk about 
how Bong uses profile shots and telephoto shots. It's great. Very observant. Very important for a young Eli, those video essays. <laughs> the things, though, that he spoils about the movie are just that the son commits the murder. And, you know, he pairs that information with the son being apparently intellectually disabled. And you watched this before watching the film. I did. Years before watching the film. A few days ago was my first time seeing Mother. I went into this movie thinking I was going to have a serious problem with it in that it is confirming a wrong idea about a correlation between violence and intellectual disability. Mm -hmm. An inability to fit into society because of an intellectual disability. So for the first like half of the movie, I was really uncomfortable and unhappy knowing where the movie was going to be going until halfway through the movie when Bong reveals that Dojun is not intellectually disabled from birth, but that he is experiencing a form of PTSD from how his mother, out of desperation from poverty, tried to kill them both. So it becomes more about this cycle of violence that she plants a seed in him and it grows into this murder that he commits. And furthermore, <laughs> another thing that the video essay doesn't reveal is that the mother's final heinous action is that she ends up pinning this crime on a young man with Down syndrome. So the movie is really purposeful about how it's talking about intellectual disabilities and how people with intellectual disabilities are taken advantage of. And also, it reflects better on memories of murder for me. It clarifies what Bong wants to do in that movie for me with intellectual disabilities, even though I still do kind of have some problems with how that character ends up in memories of murder. So that's all to say, this is all to say that I had a very complicated viewing experience, but I come out of Mother thinking that it's really good and it's very purposeful with what it's trying to do. Can I just clarify? Yeah. Because I didn't actually pick up on the idea that the mother's actions in trying to, to commit suicide with her son to be the action that causes the PTSD condition that you're talking about. Because yeah, I didn't really the same register that. Oh, really? But it's a very interesting reading because I, I didn't think about that. Oh. I, I, I think it's a valid reading of it. Hmm. I don't know how clear it was, but I think it's an interesting reading of it because I actually didn't draw that conclusion. Yeah. Uh. Or was it something that was said and then I just like didn't pick up? In retrospect, it can probably be read both ways and it's probably hazy on purpose, right? Right. right. But regardless, I think that what happens with the man with Down syndrome at the end mm -hmm. feels like ending on the... Yes appropriate note definitely this is interesting i don't know what to make of it as much now but i i still feel that it's i don't know just knowing the way that story ghosts tend to work in scripts mm -hmm. to me it feels like bong wants us to draw a connection between the trauma and dojun's actions in the present at least his violence if not his overall behavior hmm so, why do y'all think I chose Mother? <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Oh, I well, like I do that think question. I, it is a deep cut, 
I, I, I do think out of all of his features, except for barking dogs, I do think this is the mm. least seen. Um, I mean, all his films are acclaimed. Yeah. This is maybe also one of his most acclaimed films. It's not a deep cut in terms of the acclaim. Why this deep cut? <laughs> That's true. You, you just wanted us to have a crazy time with that third act. No, because I, I had... <laughs> no, okay, also true. It's, it's one of his more complicated movies, but... Can I, can I guess? <laughs> yes, you yeah, can guess. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Uh, blunt head trauma murders. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you really hear you really bonk, you hear it <laughs> bonk oh go gosh. to horny jail the movie it's it's funny how there are some of these small like similarities that i didn't think about when i picked it like the use of rock as a weapon <laughs> the yeah. use of rock as and also weapon. the fact that actually mother also has a black and white version oh, oh really <laughs> but obviously that's not the that's reason that's not the reason mad yeah. mother fury road Mm-hmm. All the things that I could guess kind of feel too small. Like it- the reason I can tell you is because Mother feels different compared to the rest of his films, excluding Barking Dogs. Ah, feels a little on. different in a specific way. If that helps you guess, if not, I'll just tell you. Oh, I see. Okay. Would you say that it's more kind of grounded? Or does it break nope. that emotional alignment you have with the main character? Nope. He does that with other films as well. I would say, like, I would say, you can argue Parasite a little bit. Different. Different. Female different. protagonist. Oh, no, no, that happens in Okja. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only one without a giant CGI pig. <laughs> I'll just tell y'all. So the specific reason that I picked a mother is that compared to the rest of his films, it is much more of a character study than the rest of them. Hey. Like a solo character study. Yeah. Because I find that the rest of his films, this is not, it's not a crazy big reason, <laughs> but it's because the rest of his films, you look at Parasite, he uses the family unit as a character. Mm-hmm. You look at Snowpiercer, mm. you have a group of people. You look at Memories of Murder, Choo-choo. you have a group of cops. You look at Okja, you have a group of, Pigs. Um, I don't know what you call them. No. <laughs> I mean, that's the girl, but she... That's a Tifa. (laughs) Group of Antifa. (laughs) It's the impossible company. (laughs) Anyway. So he usually uses, like, the fam... This family unit or this team unit as the protagonist. But with Mother, it's really this one person. And to me, he digs the deepest in in terms of depicting a character in Mother. In a way that he doesn't do in the other films. I'd agree. Mother is also plotted in a way that's very intricate, but the first half of the film, it doesn't really move. The first half of the film is texture, characterization, and that is what I find is most unique about Mother. It really is this character study of this character that Bong wanted to undermine and subvert Kim Haija's star personality. That first half is also set up that, that you don't realize it's set up. Yeah. And it's such a piercing character study and it's like of such a complex character but i would say personally at the end of it i completely understand all of her actions <laughs> yeah I, I yeah i agree i understand her actions she does it out of <laughs> out of love out of guilt yeah. out of guilt for her son he and she ends of... up ruining that love yeah <laughs> he like perverts the idea of unconditional mother's love yeah. It's maybe the most fucked up that Bong has ever gone. Yeah. That's what I, I love, think. though. That's why I love <laughs> this movie. 
He's asking, should there be unconditional love? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of answering no. No. <laughs> or maybe, maybe no. <laughs> All you no. need yeah. to fix it is just this acupuncture point on your thigh and <laughs> yeah. All We're the good. world's just a clean memory wipe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we dance in. Oh, I think this is my probably my favorite bong like ending shot. Is the that... opening shot also? Oh, the opening shot. Oh as man, well. that's repeated. Think... Like the yeah. same. Oh, when she leaves the house after she kills the guy, she's just walking through the field. The first time I watched Mother was in 2015, so it's been six years since I've seen it, and of course I knew the twist which is that he did it. But I forgot that she murders this other guy. <laughs> and I didn't remember what this dancing scene was supposed to do. And I was like, this is so weird. Like you begin your scene with this woman with a blank expression dancing in a field and you have no idea, no context as to how to interpret it. And then you realize what it's connected to. The way that it calls back to the opening after she murders the guy really sends a punch to you back in in the past yeah (laughs) is what it feels like Mm. yeah i think it i think it asks you to reconsider this character but because it's so confusing of an action to begin with it's like did you ever really know her do you really know her now like i get what you're saying wilson about you understand her motivations and her actions now yes And, and yes i understand each choice she makes but i think that the challenge of this movie is it's asking you to say no i don't really know her i was thinking about this and from reading some of the interviews of bong i realized the thing that's interesting about the mother character is it's not that i don't understand her but you realize at the end of the film that even though you understand why she does things you realize that she does it because she thinks she knows her son but she doesn't ah yeah and that's the thing that doesn't add up for her because she thinks she's doing this because her son is a person to be protected because of his disability but then she she doesn't realize what he could be capable of and what she can be culpable in and the depths of what she can do so she kind of lacks this self-awareness and awareness of her son that is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think the last thing that you said is key there. I want to pick this up and carry it further. It's a lack of self-awareness, even further than an understanding of her son. She doesn't understand herself and what she's capable of and what she's capable of creating in her son. Um, when her son tells her that he remembers her attempt to murder him, she screams like she's having the realization yeah. Like this information is new to her as well. After she commits <laughs> yeah. the murder of the junk man, she screams in shock at her own actions. Like right. she's stumbling yeah. upon this body. Yeah. I think that this dance is part and parcel with the idea that she doesn't really know herself in the same yeah. way that we don't really know her and that she doesn't really know her son. And her son doesn't even really know her, maybe. There's so many veils and layers of distance and fog. It's both such an intimate and precise character study that pulls you in so deep and holds you at arm's length. It's a really tricky combination. It does enough to help you understand her, but also enough so that it leaves some things up to interpretation and allows you to really judge her however you want to fill in the blanks. Like going back to why I picked this, right? And comparing it with Parasite, I, I came to realize 
after also rewatching Memories, that his films that are not Mother, the characters usually fall into certain archetypes. Hmm. He's very good at characterizing them, making you understand who they are and the kind of people they are and how they tick. In yeah. Parasite, within the first half hour, you know how all four main family members think and their relationships. Right. There's a great scene where they talk to that pizza person and you see how all of them interact with her and then you understand the way that they're going to go about doing this con. And he's really great at that. But not a criticism, but the film doesn't really go into this deep dive character study. It doesn't really have time to. They don't really change that much. Yes, the father has that one decision, but their characters kind of stay the same throughout. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Mother, she goes through a journey that changes her. Yeah. And that is why I find it such an outlier. It's not a film that's really about the plot. It's about the character. Whereas his other films, I would say the plot is much stronger in terms of the draw to watching these films. But Mother is still a murder mystery And it's movie, a really good one which too. Which is wild. <laughs> like, I know it's a character study first and foremost, but the way that information is relayed to the viewer mm-hmm. and when it is relayed in the plot is so... I think it's so smartly done through the use of flashbacks and through the use of specific people telling their stories and relaying little bits of information, which leads to the, like the most important relay of information with the guy collecting that collects garbage that um, the mother eventually kills. Arson, baby. <laughs> what I find really great about this movie is that as a murder mystery, it's really good at introducing many, many elements to you that are important to the plot and that all kind of come together at the end. So, for example, in the flashback sequence to Muna Jung, who is the girl who is killed, randomly she gets a nosebleed that seems to not mean anything until mm-hmm. you realize that it is actually what causes it to so perfectly pin the blame on the kid with Down syndrome who has some sort of relationship with her because her blood is on his clothes. And you have things like the acupuncture box, And the meridian point she keeps talking about, which seals the end of the movie when she supposedly uses that meridian point to do a memory wipe of everything that has happened. So there are all these little details. You have the handphone, the girl who makes sure that they don't make noises when you take photos. You have the two boys that they interrogate. It's a lot of information and detail that ends up having narrative consequences, which makes it really intriguing to watch yeah just another example of really tight plotting paying yeah. off i realize now that thinking about the film jintae who is dojun's friend who was introduced at the start he kind of disappears when dojun is arrested and comes back a little bit but when he is introduced in the middle of the film when he just sneaks into the mother's house and then joins forces with her to find the real killer that's the middle point of the movie and i realized that The first half of the movie is the mother trying to find a real killer, but in a very abortive way. Like, she doesn't find the right clues. She follows the wrong clues. She finds red herrings like Jintae's golf club. So the first half is, like, her finding the wrong clues. But then the second half is her, with Jintae, finding all the right clues that lead to 
the correct conclusion, but the emotionally wrong one for her. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see the split. And I think it's very interesting. Once you reach that middle point, it really starts moving at a clip that's more comparable to Parasite in the delivery of information. All the setups start having payoffs, but I think the difference from Parasite is that the setups in Mother don't feel like setups per se because there isn't as much narrative propulsion as you're noting, Ben. It just feels like we're observing texture and then those things come back and Mm -hmm. hit hard in the payoff. Yeah. It tricks you. (laughs) He does. It does. He's good at tricking. (laughs) On the note of Jintae, there's that beat where as Jintae is torturing and interrogating these two teens to get information from them about Muna Jung, he's very violently beating them up. Mm -hmm. And he has this line, I should have become a cop. The cops elsewhere in Mother are incompetent and uncaring and get into <laughs> car crashes and, and mistreat Dojun. Both Mother and Memories of Murder are quietly A-cab movies, yeah. which is pretty cool. From like 2006 and 2009. Bong Joon-ho. That's the reason why they're conservative politicians in Korea that don't like him. Oh, I'm him, sure. They call him left-wing and also anti-American, which is very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. But it maybe kind of makes sense. <laughs> the kind of shitty cop character that he portrays, I think, is something that he that is understood in South Korea. And I think I wouldn't say he's playing it up. Okay. I don't have first-hand experience, but it sounds like this is based on some sort of reality at least yeah 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 well a cab all around the world <laughs> yeah agree <laughs> also that scene with the interrogation has this really interesting stylistic choice that he makes that's also echoed in parasite is this the interrogation that happens in the bear in the ferris wheel yeah. yeah where he's punching that one dude and then she he talks about ajung and then it tilts down and she's there in the Ferris wheel with them. Yeah. It's like this dream sequence. Yeah. And that was really interesting. He does that as well in Parasite with the cake. The birthday cake. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else that reminds me of? Fellow Korean director Park Chan-wook does mm-hmm. that. I think at a couple points, but in particular, I'm thinking of Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Which point is that? Can I remember? The villain has this whole sequence where he remembers his sister's death and... He's in the elevator. He reaches his hand out and suddenly his hand is holding her. Just creative moves in and out of flashbacks are always so impressive. Yeah, another very, like, impactful editing choice to flashback is right after the mother kills the guy. It has, like, a really quick cut to Dojun right after he kills Moon Ajong. And sort of, like, linking both of them, like, in the moments right after they, like, committed these unspeakable, like, acts of murder or acts of killing someone else. And and then her fallout, the fallout from that with her being very similar to the way that he reacted to after he killed Munajo, where he, like, sort of, like, I don't know, what, what better way to say than, like, his brain sort of, like, malfunctions after that where he like keeps on taking out the flip phone that was an interesting choice yeah what an interesting yeah. like um physical acting choice mm-hmm. 
just in case you needed further evidence that Bong is linking their actions, there's a whole point made out of Dojun says that his mother told him, if someone harms me, I harm them back. If someone insults me, mm-hmm. I go after them. And I think that's important because Munajong throws this brick at mm-hmm. Dojun, and Dojun retaliates in turn by throwing the brick back, and that ends up killing her. Yeah. So the main point in that scene is that she calls him the R word. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually the thing that allows me to forgive Bong for how he's characterizing this character that's supposedly intellectually disabled. That the mother has conditioned her son to retaliate when he's being belittled. So for her, it's this empowering message, but it also is the message that backfires and causes him to murder this girl. That's also the thing when she's hearing the story, yeah. like she doesn't believe him until like he recounts her calling Dojun that name and it now it makes sense to her that why he would do that. I think the setup of the way the mother has conditioned the character is kind of because it creates this difficult moral thing going on, right? Where no, no, I don't know where to go with this. It's too difficult to understand. It's like you're thinking about who's responsible or who was culpable yeah, but it's in like, this murder. It's because you don't know how to process it. It kind yeah. of makes it okay, but like, yeah. that's it, weird. <laughs> Mother gets really murky. I think it's like, the, yeah. it, it, it's the most murky out of all of the Bong films that I've seen. Yeah. But what I really admire is how Bong really doesn't shy. He's not afraid. He doesn't shy mm-hmm. away. He, he really just dives right in and sort of like leaves it to us as the viewer to come to our own personal conclusions on how we feel about these characters mm-hmm. and their actions. But I think also we're saying that there are elements of this that he's very clear on. Mm-hmm. You know, murder is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, the way he films murder is brutal. Oh, and yeah. that's like the way that and he... the way he like audio designs murder. Oh, yeah. Also brutal. <laughs> The impact of the brick against Muna Jung is mm. really frightening. Similarly, when the housemaid in Parasite falls down the stairs and hits her head, Ooh. that moment is so important as we're talking about tonal shifts because the sound of her head hitting the wall yeah. uh, stops the score that's been happening. It halts our enjoyment of like the thrill of this sequence in its mm-hmm. tracks. Oh, and it, that sequence. on a dime, shifts the tone. Yeah. And even if the characters don't know, the audience fully knows that she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that's half the dropkick in Parasite. Because <laughs> that's true. It's, it's, a- it's darkly funny the way that the mother in Parasite so perfectly times that kick to get rid of the housekeeper. It's a shove, but, I think. No, it's a kick. Oh, it is? She's it's holding like the plates of... Yeah, it's like slapstick. And then she does the kick, and it's almost funny, and then the hit hits the mm-hmm. wall. It's... it's You're, like, about to laugh, and then you're like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's, like, the feeling of watching a bomb movie. <laughs> that sound. <laughs> that's kind of a perfect description. Yeah. I want to just loop back to what you were talking about in terms of the juxtaposition of scenes in Mother to kind of create this sense of the connection between Dojun or disconnection between Dojun and her and his mother. And I noticed on this watch, when I was just looking through a bunch of scenes, 
that in Parasite, he has great bridges between scenes that are instead trying to achieve some kind of political commentary. Mm. So you have scenes where when the mother and the rich family, she, this is right before the birthday party, she goes to pick out an outfit and then she reaches for a dress. Yeah. It cuts to the people who've been living in the flooded town in that hall, picking out random clothes in a pile. Mm. And he has so many of these moments in Parasite where sometimes it's just like a little visual bridge that just makes it move in a better way. Like there's one where when Kiwoo is tutoring the girl for the first time and at the very end of that scene, she flips the page, like just a little bit. She crinkles the end of the paper, cuts to the mom counting money. Mm. Yeah. It's fantastic. I'm sure if you dug in deep, there's going to be like tons more of these bridges between scenes just to make things flow better or to create some kind of political comment. Right. And what that means is that the script, like the shooting script was so tight that Mm -hmm. no scenes were cut. Or I'm just saying that, but probably no scenes were cut. There are a few things that are more satisfying, like a crunchy chip. Like that kind of satisfying, like that, like a crunchy, salty uh, <laughs> carb snack, than yeah. a, like a creative scene transition. It's mm-hmm. just like a snack, you know. And what I'm grateful for for his production team is that he definitely pre-planned all these things in his storyboards. Yeah. Because I've been on shoots where people try to on the fly figure out the transition. It's not fun because. If you don't plan it out beforehand, you confuse everyone because you're like, okay, this scene that we're shooting now is going to transition to a scene that we're shooting in five days and we're going to do this. But we forgot the thing because it was not in the script. Oh, no. <laughs> it was an onset improvisation. And now your bridge doesn't make sense. And then your previous scene ends in a way that doesn't make any more sense. Yeah. Shade those directors, Ben. Yeah. Shade them. <laughs> so, like, you know the precision in Parasite is, is there in the writing and the planning. We should maybe move into wrap-up mode soon. Let's see if there's anything else. Or, or, or sicko mode. Sicko mode. Anything else? I just really want to talk about Kim Hyeja's performance. <laughs> Please. Because yeah. she plays this mother with such force and you really feel her love for her son just oozing out of her like every scene and whenever he does a close-up of her face like there's sometimes like her face twitches in these like really unsettling or like so very for me as a viewer very overwhelming um moments that i just have to like pause and just take a break from the movie but Mm. whenever you have a central performance that is so commanding and sort of like shakes you as a viewer I immediately, like, bow down to this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible performance. There's not much else to say. <laughs> I really, yeah, yeah. But it is a complicated character, and to be able to, mm-hmm. to sell it, I, I don't think is an easy feat. The shot that cements their relationship for me is the shot of Dojun peeing, and then her oh. giving him soup. It's, and it's and it's just her hand over him and it, the, yeah. the pee trail like going down under him yeah. and it's like wow it's a meaningless scene in a, in a sense of the plot but 
it tells you everything about this relationship. It's, there's something perverse about it. Yeah, that's weird yeah. as fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think her performance might be my favorite performance in a Bong movie. Mm. Yeah, Song Kang Ho's performance in Memories of Murder is like super up there mm. for me. Yeah. But I yeah. think she like really takes over this movie. And this I this movie would not work with like a lesser actor yeah. or uh, actress. So wait, the meridian point really means that she's wiping her memory, right? So what she does I, on I the bus. I don't view it that literally. Okay. Yeah. Actually, to tie it back to to tie it back to Old Boy again, it's kind of like the ending of Old Boy, uh-huh. where a character may or may not remember something that they want to forget. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think the final action that she does on the bus is her choosing to let it's go an of that intention to forget, but whether right. she does or not or is. Not. Yeah. Is a different question, right? Yeah. Because he comes back home after being let out and she just can't take it. She just can't take the fact that mm-hmm. her son is a killer. And I guess she's a killer as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like she's trying to forget that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that she, she murdered this dude with a wrench. She's trying to forget her memories of murder. Oh. <laughs> Random fun fact. The housekeeper in Parasite is in mother which we haven't revealed where it is but she's the, the relative of moon Jung, which is the dead girl and she's there blaming the mother and wondering why she's here oh. but another fun fact the housekeeper played by lee jung un also voices the pig in okja no. or rather okja <laughs> that's incredible oh my gosh that's a true fun fact <laughs> Yeah, Bong talks about how it was like very difficult to make these pig sounds. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I'm not really sure why he picked her, but apparently she has a great singing voice. So maybe she just is really good with varying her voice. Mm-hmm. I saw on Reddit that her imitation of a North Korean newscaster is like dead on. Mm-hmm. Really? I want to see yeah. that. Link that to me. <laughs> we'll link it, it in the show notes in the description <laughs> okay. of this episode. <laughs> I think an interesting question for me is, where does he go from here? Yeah. <laughs> He's reached a massive pinnacle, Palme d'Or, Academy Awards galore, his most critically acclaimed feature internationally. Does he go smaller from here? Does he go bigger from here? But what really makes me happy is that there are so many cases, at least in the early aughts uh, and the 90s of Asian directors, like, John Woo being hired to go to the States and make movies there for American audiences and those not panning out and sort of that being the death of their career in an international film sense. Whereas with Bong, who went to the West and then made Snowpiercer and an Okja and then decided himself that he wanted to go back home and make Parasite. And at the end of the day, Parasite being his biggest hit just makes me really happy yeah. that, to paraphrase his Oscar speech, that people were willing to surpass the barrier of the one-inch barrier of subtitles. And it gives me hope for not only Bong, but just the future of international cinema as it's consumed in the U.S. and in, the, in English-speaking countries. I think if you look at Bong's output, you know Parasite is not a fluke. 
he didn't just accidentally capture lightning in a bottle. He clearly has such a strong command of the craft in all its facets that the follow-up to Parasite, it'll probably be good because he clearly knows what he's doing. Yeah. I was watching the Oscar speech for when he won Best Director. Oh. And he spends that speech talking about the other great directors who are nominated. Marty! And yeah, he spent some time venerating Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino as well. Who helped elevate Bong's work into American eyes. What I find common between him and the two men that he venerates is that there are huge cinephiles. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big movie nerd. Big world movie nerds. Big world, world movie, movie nerds. nerds. Yeah, and yeah. They, they know so much about the craft in its many facets from around the world. And they know what it's capable of. I think the three of them, what they want to do is to entertain. And Bong is a director that is also just trying to entertain you mm-hmm. cinematically. And I think that's also a big reason why he's able to find appeal overseas from his home country. There's a universal appeal to his films. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at shots with the sound off of Parasite, I was like, whoa. <laughs> there was something almost more arresting about it without the sound on. Wow. Because I was sort of not distracted by what they were saying. And I was realizing all the interesting things he was doing with camera movement and with blocking much more. Oh my gosh. Which just reminded me of the shot I was looking at right before we did the podcast. The first introduction to the mom, the rich mother in Parasite, when she's lying on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the first time I saw the shot, I was like, okay, it's funny because the housekeeper claps. Oh, yes. And then she wakes up the mom. That shot, the way it's blocked, it's at the corner of a glass window. The mom is sitting on the right side of the frame, on the right side of the corner, lying down on the table. The housekeeper is on the left side of that line. She's politely asking... For her to wake up, she doesn't wake up. She crosses the line to clap in her face, and then she wakes up. Yeah. It's the themes of the movie in one shot, and it draws a line between the housekeeper and the Kim family as well, all in that shot. Also worth noting that Mrs. Park is later asleep on the couch as Mr. Park comes home, so the wake-up didn't really work. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just jumped into that because it just popped in my head <laughs> i mean in a way that's kind of a great note to end on because it's it's so emblematic of what bong cares about how he illustrates that care cinematically and the things that he gets you to think about and feel as you're laughing and grimacing all at once yes on that note I guess we'll wrap it up for this episode of deep cut yeah which is also last episode of our first season of deep cut yes thank you so much listeners for joining us on this journey for this whole season yeah so many of you have specifically reached out to us and and given us thoughts and really kind things to say our friends who we care about yes and thank you so much for doing that really means a lot to all three of us Yes, and this is not the end. We have exciting (laughs) things planned for season two. So be on the lookout for when we return. And (laughs) if you're a listener that we don't know or you don't know us personally, please come on the Discord, which has nobody right now, and come talk to us. We want to know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, we'd love to meet you. Please, yes. We'll be taking a short hiatus before season two. 
we might have some little bonus episodes between season one and two. So be sure to check those out. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at DeepCutPod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. And thank you so much to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork of Bong this week. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next season. <laughs> yeah, guys, we got renewed. <laughs> Thanks for listening. By ourselves. By ourselves. <laughs> renewed is short for recording in the nude. Too deep to cut season two. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sequels tokyo drift <laughs> shrek the fourth okay um slates yes wilson and slate ben and slate eli and slate